dog, it burns, it burns. Hi, I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. Today we're bringing you a new episode that we like to call Shooting the Flames. This is sort of a very relaxed conversation between Chris and I where we bring in a lot of things that we like to talk about off mic. Things like horror news, new trailers that are coming out for upcoming movies. And we're also going to be bringing you some listener interactive stuff too. So to start things off, let's get in touch with our listeners and see what they have to say. The first comment I have is from our top 10 film scores, and it's from Casey on Facebook. It says, uh, I'm really happy to hear you guys list a number of scores that truly do deserve more attention, but I am shocked, shocked, I tell you, (laughs) at the lack of any goblin on your lists. The Deep Red and Suspiria scores are not only insanely good, but influenced countless future composers within the genre. I made peace with the lack of Morricone, Laugh out loud. But it really was a major surprise to hear Goblin Overlooked. Really looking forward to hearing you discuss more horror film music in the future, for sure. It's such a rich and diverse topic that you both really know a lot about. Well, thank you, Casey. Thank you for saying so, Casey. And let me just say, I really applaud your diction on Facebook, because that's exactly how I talk and type. So, yep. great. And uh, to answer your question, honestly, Goblin was basically number 11. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we really struggled with putting that on. And it was basically our runner up for And we actually, I believe we mentioned it a couple times. I think so. You know? So it's just, uh, for me, a lot of this is kind of subjective. I like to base my uh, top tens, not only on my subjective view of things uh, and my experience and preferences, but also on what is considered in the industry uh, and sometimes in the actual communities, in this case, the film score community, uh, either the fans or the film scorers themselves. And honestly, a lot of the top tens that I saw floating around did have Goblin on there and pretty high. Um, but we really, really struggled with that. And, uh, I don't know why, like, uh, it really almost made our list. It was higher up on my list actually to begin with, but I just had to whittle it down and, and just put some of the higher, in my opinion, some of the higher influencers in the wider genre of filmmaking and not just horror. But yes, we completely agree with you that Goblin is incredibly influential and those scores are amazing. And more than just Goblin too, I think a lot of the Giallo scores from these movies are fantastic. In fact, if you keep listening to this episode, I'll be talking about that again later on. But, um, you know, I sort of base my top tens really on a visceral experience or Sonic in this particular case and listenability to myself and things that I listen to more often than not. And while I listen to Goblin quite a bit, it just didn't you know, make the the top 10 cut. Now, I will say that if we ever revisit this topic again in the future, which I'm pretty sure we will, I'm telling you that Goblin's going to be on there for sure. Oh, yeah. Goblin's going to make some of our other lists. I mean, it's iconic. So definitely stay tuned. And thank you for that comment, Casey. Uh, The next round of comments come from another top 10, and that was our creepy love songs from February. Darren on Facebook, who is also the host of the Psychosemitic podcast, uh, suggests a song Married Girl by the Slackers. And Darren, I listened to that song. It is indeed creepy and right up my alley. Um, He says, nice list. Yet another fun episode. Does Closer by Nine Inch Nails count as creepy? It's definitely creepy, oh my but God, I, was, yes. I almost don't want to say it's a love song, though. It's a very specific kind of love, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's disturbing, like, right up there with Number One Crush, but Number One Crush is about love, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think he just, this guy just wants to... Fuck you, like you. So, 
I mean, and I'm sure he loves them in his own particular way, but Darren, that really does count. And if that's high on your list, we applaud it because we do love that song. Yeah. And I think it's actually on our, uh, it may be on our actual Spotify playlist. I, if for... not, it was definitely on our Halloween Spotify playlist. Yeah. So, yeah. So, mm-hmm. Erica from Twitter said, I listened to the number one song on this list on repeat for about six months straight. In case you wondered what it was like to hang out with 16 year old Erica. So, yeah, uh, (laughs) I think my sister, actually, I still remember my sister listening to Number One Crush on repeat for months after it came out. And I actually enjoyed the song, too, at the time. Obviously, everyone loved it. Oh, yeah. uh, Or anyone that was aware of it. It was a huge hit for Garbage. Yeah. And, I mean, I was... 17 or so when that song came out so I know exactly how she feels and I did the same thing in fact I can go so far as to say I listened to that soundtrack on repeat for months and months and months that movie totally took over my life for a period of time and I still have a fondness for that soundtrack and I was actually um, obsessed with the film score for that film there was two soundtracks out for this movie Um, and both were excellent so thank you Erica for that comment Matthew from Twitter says, thanks to you guys. Perfect commute today. First half was the episode and the second half was your Spotify playlist. That's a long ass commute. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, if you got through that entire Spotify playlist, Matthew. And our top 10. Congrats. (laughs) I mean, or maybe you should move closer to your job or something. Maybe. I don't know. But um, thank you for saying that. We obviously added a whole bunch of songs to the Spotify playlist, more than just our top 10. It was some runners up and other favorites of creepy love songs. And um, I think if we revisit this topic again, we'll probably pick from some of those runners up to do maybe another top 10. So if you really liked it, Matthew, just keep listening. We'll have another one. Brock from Twitter. And of course, Brock is our brother from another mother or our uh, work wife (laughs) (laughs) from the Cocktail Party Massacre podcast says this episode was a blast. So many thoughts agreed with almost anything from Fever Ray's first album. The Alanis Morissette song. Yes. I'm on fire is among my favorite songs. Creepier version by Bat for Lashes. Also check out her song Horse and I. Creepiest song in my opinion. Billy Holidays, you're gonna see a lot of me. Keep up the great work, heart. That is a fantastic suggestion, Brock. That is a creepy song, and I love, love, love Billy Holiday. But even more than that, I love, 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 love Bat for Lashes. So thank you for saying that. Yep. Literally, Bat for Lashes' song, What's a Girl to Do, was my number 11 choice. It was so close to making the cut. And I know Chris has heard this song now. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it just sounds creepy, even if the lyrics are not. And she just has a way of injecting this creepy, scary quality to her music, like all the way through it. And it's fantastic. So I'm so glad that you love her too. And I have to make a confession, Brock. I'm sorry, but I have actually not listened to Fever Ray's first album. I only know this song. <laughs> <laughs> well, get on it, man. I know. So obviously I need to. I wasn't even aware that like everything else they did was great too. I mean, I should have guessed. Yeah. But yeah, I'll check it out. Thanks, Brock. Uh, based on my conversations with Brock, I know that he's a big music fan. So um, if we have some more music uh, episodes, Brock, we really would love to have some of your input and comments. So mm-hmm. keep them coming. Next up, we asked you guys on social media to submit some questions to Chris and myself for us to answer on this episode and future episodes of Shooting the Flames. And we got a really good amount this time, and we've chosen a couple to answer. Yeah. So Jay on Facebook says, how did you guys get into horror movies? What motivated you guys to start a podcast? 
Any horror novels that you guys absolutely love? Look at Jay coming in strong with a three-part question. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into to horror movies? Um, my mother is very much into horror movies, and they were sort of always on in the background when I was growing up. And so as a young child, I sort of caught glimpses of them. And I think it really just you know influenced my brain quite a bit. And then by the time I became eight or nine, 10 years old, I was very obsessed with anything that was remotely scary that I could get my hands on, be it uh, books or music or TV shows, movies, right? And I just watched them all the time. And it just slowly turned me into who I am today. And, you know, it's the first thing that I go for when I pick a movie to watch, right? Um, so, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, over the years, I have seen countless amounts of horror movies, some of them countless amounts of times. And it's just really who I am as a person. And for me, like, I, I just, I think I just stumbled upon horror, like on TV, um, you know, throughout the years. And they scared the hell out of me. I think one of the first experiences was like watching Student Bodies, which is a comedy horror, right? And I didn't know that I was too young, like six years old or something to understand that it was comedy. And so it was a straight horror for me. And it was kind of an easy kind of dip into horror in that yeah. sense, if you think about it, right? And, uh, and then I think I, my mind really got blown because I just, aliens came on, you know, aliens came out in 86. So it would have been on TV by the nineties, um, or the early nineties at least. And so I was, I remember just, it just blew my mind because I already loved genre films as a kid and fantasy and sci-fi and a lot of the horror themes and different things. Uh, all the horror adjacency that we go through as we watch anything from Disney films to other genre films. Um, and I think that growing up in the 80s or being a young child in the 80s, we were pretty rife with like some sort of dark, you know, children's programming. Things like The NeverEnding Story or Return oh, to yeah. Oz were incredibly dark. And it's a really easy gateway into the horror genre. Sure. I mean, I – Like the Dark Crystal. Oh, exactly. Yeah. What was that Disney movie, The Black Cauldron? I mean, <laughs> Or Labyrinth. You know, it was – there was yeah. so much of it in the 80s to sort of like warp our young minds as it were. Um, I know that some of the earliest horror movies that I watched as a kid would be like A Nightmare on Elm Street, um, Night of the Creeps, things that were in that 1985 to 1987 range. Mm -hmm. And it just sparked my love and everything grew from there. And Yeah, and I I still remember like not even just movies, but watching Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon and and, uh, Unsolved Mysteries and just eating it up. Definitely. Yeah. And just even as a small child. Uh, just eating my macaroni and cheese with a glass of milk in front of the TV, watching Unsolved Mysteries and just blowing my little kid mind. Oh, you little cheddar goblin. Mm-hmm. And watching <laughs> old VHSs uh, of my uh, parents' recordings of like Twilight Zone and stuff. So mm-hmm. loved it. So, I mean, obviously we could go on and on and on with that particular question. But your second one, what motivated you guys to start the podcast? Conversations. Yeah. I mean, we talk about this and since we became friends we have always had conversations about horror movies or horror adjacency i think chris and i like to explore the genre as a whole and talk about how movies that are not quite set in the horror genre can be considered to be a horror movie and it sort of grew from there yeah and we can we're kind of on the same wavelength anyway we're one of those friends that could talk until like 
you know, from 10 at night until seven in the morning. And we've done that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a couple times where people just kind of listen to, to us, like as we're talking and, and have told us that we're entertaining or that we riff off each other really well. Uh, there's several times that we've had long discussions, like we should record that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I, or maybe if we didn't say that we were thinking it, and I think that's just how it evolved. And we really loved horror podcasts and we had a lot of really good conversations about them and not just, not just talking about them as normal friends would, but as, you know, people in, in some academia or like critiquing circles would do. Uh, and so we just thought we had something to add and, and uh, that we could add value to the podcasting community and uh, give something for our listeners to hear and enjoy. Well, and not to overly gush too much, but I think that, you know, we, we could start a podcast. And the reason that it sort of works for us is because we appreciate and value each other's opinion on movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we trust each other's uh, recommendations and judgment. And it's super easy for us to have a conversation and not let our own particular viewpoints get in the way of, you know, dialogue in general. Yeah. Lastly, she asks, uh, what horror novels, any horror novels that you guys absolutely love? <sighs> See, the first thing for me, like, I want to say, like, Alien, like, the novelization, you know, or Pet Cemetery, or It, or, you know, some of these other things. But, like, for me, of course, growing up, it was Goosebumps, you know, R.L. Stein and, and all that. But for me, it's, uh, uh, and then as I got older, a little bit older, it was Christopher Pike. I actually like the adult Christopher Pike book called Season of Passage. And that is my okay. favorite horror novel, because it's also sci-fi uh, and fantasy, all rolled into one uh, big novel. And it is to this day probably my favorite genre and uh, horror sci-fi book of all time. And he's lent me a copy of that book to read. And I did read it a couple years ago. It's fantastic. Uh, Jay, there are so many horror novels that I love. Um, I couldn't even begin to list them all. Um, Some of my favorites would be it. It is my favorite book of all time, period, horror or non um, I also really enjoy Pet Cemetery. I like a lot of the work of Ira Levin, so like Rosemary's Baby, Sliver, Stepford Wives are some of my favorite. Um, <clears throat> when I was a teenager or preteen, I sort of like would read any horror novel I could get my hands on. So I've read a lot of different authors. Um, so you and I could talk about this for a very long time if you like horror literature. Uh, but essentially, if it has the name Stephen King on it, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, and we've been all over the place. I mean, anything from like the House of Usher, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. To um, I'm sure. I mean, we both enjoy Poe. We both enjoy a lot. Of oh, Lovecraft. Lovecraft yeah. for yeah. sure. I mean, like not even just novels, but short stories. I mean, we we're both avid readers, and I mean, we read a lot more than just horror. You know, I sometimes find myself these days watching more horror movies than reading horror literature or horror work. Um, but it's something I should get back into more recently. If you're looking for, um, a book to read that's sort of like off the radar, I read something called I'm thinking of ending things. It's crazy. It's scary and you can read it real fast, but I suggest the audio book because the narrator is fantastic. So go check that one out. Well, thank you, Jay, so much for all those questions. That's amazing. So keep them coming. That's right. She comments a lot on our Facebook and we really appreciate that. Brock from cocktail party massacre asks, uh, without telling each other your answers, what classic monster, universal or not, would the other be and why? Gosh. Um, so I'm going to – I have to go ahead and say it. This is probably not a t- traditional monster, but I think it's still a monster. And I'm going to say that Robert is Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> 
He's a fucking psychopath. Uh, uh, well, okay. And so way. he's incidentally human because like, let's face it, he's uh, cannibalizing people and then like ripping their faces off and wearing them as masks. That's very monstrous. Yeah, it's true. That's a very monster thing to do. Mm-hmm. He's actually a lot more effective than you'd say like uh, one of like a Romero ghoul could be. So I would say that uh, he counts. And uh, if, if y'all didn't know, Robert is an accomplished chef. And so is Hannibal. And Hannibal is very intelligent and uh, educated. And so is Robert. So it just all kind of fits. I just can't, I, you know, I just can't see you as like Dracula or Frankenstein or the mummy or, yeah. you know. I mean, I'll take that. It was a, a very you know, Maybe nice... Bride of Frankenstein if, you, if she had it's pearls probably to more likely. I mean, because I shriek like no other, right? Does she make a nice souffle? No. <laughs> but neither do I, really. So <laughs> Good, because I hate souffle. Uh this is kind of a hard question for me. I mean, I don't know. I know um, my friend has a very nice beard and it's something that I'm sort of jealous about because I can't grow one quite like his. So oh, am I McCready last the thing? I'm just going to call you the wolf man. <laughs> but <laughs> wow. He's misunderstood and hairy. I don't know. Okay. okay. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, I guess the guy from the thing, but he wasn't a monster, was he? He was just a. He could have been. It was ambiguous. I guess the ending is ambiguous. Um, I don't know. He also has a pool, and I've seen the way he dives into it. So maybe the creature from the Black Lagoon. (laughs) (laughs) A combination of both, I suppose. I see what you're doing now, Brock. You're trying to break us apart so you can add us to your podcast. Creating all this strife. Uh, so that was a nice compliment. Thank you, Chris. And I hope you appreciate my backhanded one. Oh, yes. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) So Movie Geek and Proud is also another podcast that we know and love. And they ask, do you think it's possible in our future to see a horror equivalent of Love, Simon? In other words, can we get a Hollywood blockbuster release of a horror movie with a predominantly gay cast and or theme? Uh, that's a very heavy question. Um, short answer. Yes. Yeah. Next I mean, question. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah, I think so. I think if you look at some of the movies, horror movies that are coming out as of late, things like What Keeps You Alive, right? Um, there's there's a lot of like queer horror going around. Well, now. what makes a, a blockbuster, right? Because you can have really insanely popular and successful independent films that are made on shoestring budget that basically become blockbusters, right? Exactly. So I feel like there's there's more. We're seeing more and more of that. And we just need a really, really good one to come along to be popular. And I don't think that the masses are going to reject it outright just because it happens to have, you know, a predominantly gay cast or at least a main character that might be gay. But I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive. Well, and here's here's the thing. Here's what I think, guys. Um, are these blockbusters that come out actually really good? You know, and some of these this independent horror that comes out is fantastic. And, I mean, it's far superior, I think, than a lot of these big-budget studio movies that are released. And if you're looking for a cast or themes, you know, in the LGBT community, this is where we should look. And even more than movies, I think that looking at television or streaming is really the way to go for things like this. We can't forget things like The Haunting of Hill House that came out last year that had, you know, a really good, solid gay character. 
And um, if we're looking forward to things for LGBT people as far as horror movies go, I think that we should start to focus on stuff like Netflix or Hulu or even just smaller independent festival releases instead of looking to the studios to give us what we want. And if you're looking for an equivalent of Love, Simon, I don't really see that as a blockbuster, and I certainly don't see it as like a very high-budget film, in which case you could say the equivalent already exists and say, like, what keeps you alive, right? right? Or even Hellbent, yeah. you know? So, And Love, Simon, while it may not have been a blockbuster, had a lot of advertising push behind it, and I think that was a great step forward as far as, like, your representation in, in film. But um, I really think that some of these smaller directors or people who have a voice are what we should be paying attention to. So thank you, Movie Geek and Proud. We really appreciate that question. And I think it's really interesting. And I think we need to think about it from here on out. That's right. And let's just say if you have a movie deep inside you, go make it so we could all talk about it. So exactly. I mean, yeah. Uh, thank you guys for all the questions. We got many more than these three. And we are going to hold on to those and answer them on another iteration of Shooting the Flames. So keep listening for your question and our answer. More news. So the first thing on our list is the uh, New Mutants and Grudge are pushed back, maybe indefinitely. I did not hear about this. I didn't think the uh, – I guess it's just Grudge, right? It's just Grudge, yeah. Uh, I didn't think that was getting pushed back. Yep. I saw an article literally – so, guys, we have an episode that came out in February of the best of 2018 and looking forward to 2019. And both of these movies were listed and are looking forward to. Um, and subsequently, the week after we recorded that, I read these news articles. And I posted them both on our Facebook page if you want to go and look at it. Uh, the New Mutants, which has been completed for quite some time now and has been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, has been pushed back yet again. So um, I just read an article this morning, in fact, before recording that the new release date is actually going to be September the 2nd, but it looks like it's going to be released on Hulu instead of in theaters. Well, I, I don't know. Like I keep... I don't think this is that surprising. I, I keep seeing horror films that keep pushed being pushed back by a year, even more like it follows. I think was out, was made like two years before it was finally released right. in theaters. And I think they just look for a really good opportunity to make the most of these small budgets because they can make many, many times the budgets as horror films. That's true. So and I think they're just waiting till the iron's hot to strike, right? And that's exactly what it is, because both of these movies were slated for release at the end of the summer. And that's sort of the last big push for studios to get their tentpole movies out. And, you know, if something is slated to come out the same day, that's obviously going to crush it at the box office. You know, there's no sense in, you know, not being able to recoup your investment in a film. And so like these two particular movies that we were looking forward to, I mean, sort of push back. I thought indefinitely, but it looks like we'll be getting the New Mutants after all, just not in the theater. And I think tentatively, Grudge will be coming out in February of next year. So a oh, full wow. year to wait. Yeah. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, Dr. Sleep. So Chris is a big fan of Mike Flanagan, as am I. We both love The Haunting of Hill House. And he adapted Dr. Sleep uh, by Stephen King, which is the sequel to The Shining, as a film. And it was slated to be released in 2020. However, it has been moved up very, very quickly. And it is coming out in the fall of this year instead. Oh, wow. So, so I yeah. can't imagine there was much of a break then from shooting from... Uh, the Haunting of Hill House to this. No. Well, I think that it's been in the can for a little bit. Um, and I didn't know why they were sitting on it for so long. But it seems like to me that people have seen this movie and it must be phenomenal. So Ooh. they're like releasing it sooner than later. 
Well, so, he's a great director. I think that is also the case, too. I think that people were very impressed with Hill House and his previous work. And I think that he is, you know, a, a great new voice in horror. And people are trying to strike while that iron is hot, too. So yeah. he's getting pushed up. So we have that to look forward to quickly. Awesome. The next thing on our list is Zack Snyder's new zombie heist movie, Arisen from the Dead. So do you know anything about this, Chris? No. Okay, so Zack Snyder, who directed the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Back in 2004. Right, and then he also did 300 and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. DC stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he um, had his hands on a script about uh, people driving into the wasteland of Las Vegas during a zombie apocalypse for this, like, fantabulous heist of a casino. Seen it. Well, I don't know. I felt like Resident Evil Two or something was. Well, that? this is supposed to be like just crazy gory. I've read some things over the a years. A zombie about this movie. heist in Las Vegas. Yeah, so people are trying to steal money out of a deserted casino. Yeah, but there's zombies everywhere. Okay. I don't know. I like Zack Snyder when he makes zombie movies, so I'm super excited for it. I've read some stuff from like previous scripts of this movie. Apparently, it's been floating around Hollywood for a long time. Um, some of it had to do with like zombie rape or something. So I know that it's completely out there and crazy and I'm just super excited to see what he does with this particular concept. Cause I know he can make a good zombie film and I'm pretty sure he's going to take out some of that, you know, crazy unwanted shit. Mm. So, and lastly on our list of news, Blumhouse, one of our favorite production companies and really has been putting out some fantastic horror movies over the last 10 years at this point, I think, or close to it, has entered the Universal Monster remake. Uh, Universal tried over the last couple years to sort of reboot this uh, dark universe of things like the mummy and the wolfman and Dracula, and they just weren't doing very good. So I think lastly, we had Tom Cruise's The Mummy that came out last summer, and it was a bomb and just terrible. Yeah. However, Bloomhouse is now making their own, and one of my favorite new horror directors, Lee Wannell is set to write and direct The Invisible Man and he's doing a remake um, or I think it's going to be a TV series actually of Escape from New York so not quite a universal but he's got a lot coming on so I think it's been a good month to be him and I'm super looking forward to see what he does with both of these things. Everything depends on who he casts uh, as Snake Bliskin. Oh my god well first of all I'm not even sure I want a remake of that but. Yeah honestly after seeing Upgrade and of course usually he's a tag along to uh, James Wan, yeah. and he's like you know basically a co-creator of the Conjuring universe, and of mm-hmm. course he was a like a co-producer or director on Saw when they were like basically student filmmakers still, and uh, I think he actually starred in some of those movies as well. He Obviously he was in Saw, but he was also I think in the in one of the Conjuring's. He was in um, the one with the, the kid Insidious, in the Astro- yeah, Insidious. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um, I was really happy with Upgrade. And I almost just want to see what he does next as far as like a Netflix film or something because it was really original. And I mean, obviously it didn't come from nothing, but it was really, really well done. And I kind of want to see what he can do uh, as far as original content because he did a really good job. And both of these things have been done. We've seen a couple of different versions of these before, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I, I almost feel like it's a waste of talent. But I guess I could be proven wrong and I want to be proven wrong. So we'll see. Well, and too, I mean, I watched some of these new Universal um, 
remakes they did. I watched Tom Cruise's Mummy movie, and it was just it was more action than horror. And I see where they were going with it, but I don't I don't think that's what horror fans want. If you're going to do something as a remake of beloved characters like Universal, they need to be handled with care and really put you know some time and effort into it. And I think that Blumhouse can do that. That's the movie monster you are. Blumhouse? No, beloved. From that Oprah Winfrey movie. <laughs> I can't wait well, well, another word. Calling me Tandy Newton. Are you calling Tandy Newton a monster? Sometimes. Because that's accurate. <laughs> Sorry, Tandy. I do love you. I said Sandy. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought she was from Spain. <laughs> Sandy? Like Sandy Duncan? Sandy. There's a TH at the beginning. <laughs> like Dandy and Dandy. I can't even talk. Okay. What's next? Trailers. Trailers. So I love to stay on top of movies that are coming out soon. And unlike a lot of my friends in the horror community, I don't mind being spoiled by a trailer. So uh, here's just a couple that we've seen over the last month that we have some things to say about. And we'll uh, link these in the show notes if you want to watch them on YouTube really quickly. And uh, Child's Play is our first I have been on the fence about this remake for a very, very long time. And uh, once I heard they were casting Aubrey Plaza, I was like, <gasps> okay, maybe, yeah, it's going to be good. Oh, she's so good in Legion. I haven't seen that yet. It's, it's really good. And of course, uh, one of our favorites from The Guest and uh, Downton Abbey. What's his name? Dan Stevens. Yeah. He's, hottie, hottie Dan yeah, Stevens. He's crazy in Legion, but she is even crazier. And the first season, she gets to do a lot of her own stuff. And Aubrey Plaza is crazy anyway. Mm. And so it just, it's amazing to watch her performance in that. And uh, man, I can't wait for this. I just saw the trailer because I don't really give two shits about Chucky. I never have. I, I don't have any kind of emotional investment or nostalgia attached to this. I mean, it's always been funny and entertaining, but. This looks actually more interesting and a little bit more – it might have a little bit more substance than the original films in my opinion. And I love seeing Audrey Plaza in that trailer. Yes. And I am actually really looking forward to this film now. I think that there's been so much advance in technology and toys since the original Child's Play came out that it's it's going to be fun to see exactly where they take this doll. Oh, yeah. They're definitely do. doing a technology yeah. thing with it. And almost like a ghost ghost in the machine kind of situation yeah. with it. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And it almost looks like they could have like a mass, like, you know, issue with these toys, like on, on mass, not just this one family. Yeah, we're hoping. So I don't know. That's what the trailer kind of alluded to me, but I don't, I didn't see anyone else commenting on that. So we'll see. Well, let's just say that this movie sort of jumped up in my excited list for 2019, just based on that small teaser trailer. Yep. The next is Pet Cemetery. What do you think about the latest trailer for that? Uh, okay, so on the flip side of this, I've been super looking forward to seeing Pet Cemetery since they announced it. And they started announcing the cast. And the first trailer they put out was so good. And I was just growing more and more excited, you know, every day closer to release date. And then this new trailer came out. And it's sort of like dropping very quickly off my excited radar. I don't know. See, I... I, me too, a little bit. I wasn't too excited about it to begin with. And I, I don't have, you know, I don't have any kind of issues with a remake from the original. I don't think the original was that great. Um, I think it's a cult classic and it was kind of a sleeper hit. But honestly, it's not that great. It has this amazing moments in that film. But 
Um, I think a, a, a remake could be made, but it seems like they're making some needless changes to the novel. But yeah, honestly, think, uh, it just it really depends on how they do it. Um, I think needless you know? is an understatement in that particular sentence. I think that some of these changes and I have to hold some reservation, yes. you know, until I see the actual movie. But if you haven't seen the trailer and you're looking forward to seeing Pet Cemetery, do not watch the trailer. Just go see the movie. Hold on to whatever idea you have and go see it because I think this trailer kind of spoils a lot of the movie in the two minutes that they show. Yeah. Yeah. Unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. So uh, next up on the list is a reason that I should have been watching the Super Bowl, frankly, and that is scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh, yeah. So I did not watch the big game because – Frankly, I don't give a shit. So did they release a full trailer for this? Because I saw no, a bunch of shorts. It was three snippet trailers, three yeah. or four snippets. Yeah. And up till now, we hadn't seen anything of what's been going on with that movie. Uh, it's being produced by Guillermo del Toro. So that's, you know, really good on that front. Um, but, you know, as a child in the 80s, I was obsessed with some of these books and the art that was contained within them. And I was very concerned um, and very protective of this sort of thing that they were going to ruin it. Well, and this is Guillermo del Toro. The creature effects are always going to be fantastic. And it looks that way. And I'm super happy to report, if you have not seen these tra- uh, teaser trailers, that they are staying true to the artwork in these books. And some of the creatures that they have created look fantastic, so close to the originals. And it's amazing to me how they could do that sort of thing. Now, we don't really know much about the plot or what's going on, But it seems like a lot of these short stories or tales that they had in these books are coming to life in some way or form in in this particular town. A lot like Goosebumps? Right, yeah. Great. So I'm just hoping, I mean, obviously it's not going to be a hard R, you know, but... I I wish it would be. And it did seem when I watched these uh, teaser trailers, I really wanted to love it because of the creature effects. But at the same time, the horror moments that they portrayed in those teasers were so vanilla it was kind of disappointing to me. So, and that's the thing too. Is yeah. That like I'm not. I don't. I don't have any high hopes now for something that's going to be you know crazy scary. But I do remember how scared I was reading these books and looking at these pictures and sort of like hiding it from view, but having to go back and look at it. I was so obsessed with it. Yeah. So scaring myself on purpose. So it's going to be fun to watch. Just as some sort of like you know nostalgic visit to that sort of thing. And you know, at the same time, it may not actually be a nostalgia play as much for us as it might be just you know, passing the torch to a younger generation so they can grow up with a movie like this. And that might be explaining why it may not be like a hard R or something. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays and what the target looks like after we watch it. That's right. The next trailer we saw is Octavia Spencer's Ma. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like I had sort of heard some rumblings about this movie. I had never heard anything. It just came out from nowhere. I just saw Octavia Spencer and I saw like Ma and I saw horror. I'm like, what? I knew that she was making a horror movie with Blumhouse involved and then the trailer just dropped randomly and I was completely blown away by it. It looks so good. Yeah, I don't know if I was blown away, but I it just... It does look really, really good. And I really want to see where they take it because she is an amazing actress. She really is. And if she can sell anything, she's going to sell this. And it's gonna, and you can tell just in the trailer that she's having so much fun in this role. Mm-hmm. And it's always fun to watch you know, people play and have fun. Exactly. Especially if they're not used to or we're not used to seeing them in genre films like that. If they really just take it and run with it and do a great job and have a good time in their performance, it's going to show. And we're all going to love it. And I think that the 
plot line in this seems pretty basic, but I don't know. It looks like it has a, a couple layers. It looks almost a little Alex Foresty, you know? Hey, I'm down for that. Yeah. I am totally ready for this movie. It's coming out very soon. Chris, I think this is one that we have to go see together. It's like Fatal for Attraction sure. for like mothers <laughs> or something. <laughs> it's just going to be great. If you have not seen this trailer, guys, go watch it. I don't think it spoils anything for the movie. It's really just a great primer for what's about to come. Oh, yeah. Our next segment of this episode is about our recommendations of things that we've seen recently that uh, not necessarily a full hot take, but just uh, a few things that we've watched that we thought we'd talk about. Yeah, guys, we watch a lot of movies every single month. Some of them are involved in our podcast, sort of like homework, and then others we just watch. I can say for sure that sometimes I just sit on my couch for hours on an end and watch movie after movie. So some things are good, some things are bad, and this is where we tell you what you can quickly find and watch. Yeah. So <laughs> mine is not really horror. Um, the last thing I watched in the theater was uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I actually want to see this movie. It was much. so good. The music is great. The, the voice acting is wonderful. The look of this film is, I mean, I think they're trying to patent the way that it was animated mm -hmm. because it is amazing. It looks so good. It's just kind of a mind-blowing visual experience from beginning to end. And it was just great, like emotionally from beginning to end. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm going to buy it on like 4K um, when it comes out. And uh, just, it was such high production value for an animation film. And I did, it just came out of nowhere. Like I was not anticipating this film. I didn't even know what it was. Like I'm a Marvel fan, right? I'm yeah. a, kind of a Marvel fanboy, but I, I don't really care. Like I don't really, I'm not one of those people that are watching trailers 50,000 times, you know, <laughs> for these things. And I didn't really care. I like the other trailers. I just thought this was like about. a play by Sony because this is not Marvel Studios. It's an association with, but it's not Marvel Studios. It's Sony Animation. Oh, they're just trying to hold on to Spider-Man yeah. as long as they can. Before but this was done it. in the works for a long time. And it's and it, it was based off of the black Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales, uh, created by uh, a female writer in Marvel. Huh. And they basically based the artwork off of her artwork. And she was working on this film with them and it shows. And they just, they, they partnered up. Everyone was super passionate about the project and it is super, super good. You've got like Nicholas Cage in there playing like a noir Spider-Man, like all these Spider-Mans from all these different dimensions basically get sucked into the same thing. You've got like a, a pig Spider-Man. <laughs> like you've a got spider pig. You've got uh, <laughs> spider Gwen. Gwen Stacy is a spider, uh, Spider-Man in one universe. So oh she's, God. Um, yeah. And so you've got like Nicholas Cage is the noir Spider-Man and he's like attacking people with things. And, and it's just interesting because it's like, there's different physical rules for each one. And so like the pig or whatever it is, you know, spider, spider ham. That's what it was. Spider ham. Well, I keep thinking of the Simpsons. He could pull out a giant fucking cartoon hammer and like start attacking people with it versus like other cartoon, like they're more of a realist, oh realistic, like physical universe. And so they all can do different things and they all interact with each other differently and interact with the world differently. Um, and it's not, it's only has those moments of wackiness, like few and far between. Uh, and I don't want to emphasize that, but I, there was something special about it that just added flavor to it that I thought was really, really unique besides the aesthetic value of the film, which is great. And I think it's going to be on many, many people's top tens for animated movies, you know, as far as like, like top 10 animated films you should see before you die type of thing. I just watched a top 10 on that recently. Mm -hmm. Um, and wow, uh, it's definitely going to have its place in history. Uh, well, it's nominated for an Oscar. I know that. Oh, yeah. So, it's going to win. Hands down. Uh, I, it's won almost everything so far. I um, And obviously, we're recording this before the Oscars. They are next weekend. So uh, we're looking forward to that. But I 
as you know, Chris, suffer from superhero fatigue. And it just seems like there's just so much out there. Every time I turn around, it's a new superhero movie and I just sort of lost interest. And when this trailer came out, I had no idea what this movie was. And when I saw it, I was like, okay, this seems like it's right up my alley. It seems like something I would enjoy. And it's definitely on my list. I definitely don't get fatigue from genres or anything like that. I try to judge a movie on its own merits. Now, now if there's like a universe where there's a tone that I get tired of, like I got tired of DC's tone that they were Mm -hmm. trying to do. So I can get that. And so I got some fatigue, but I still watch them every once in a while. Like Wonder Woman got really great reviews. So I watched that and it was good. But, you know, like uh, Marvel has been hitting out of the park with several different things that they've been doing. Um, you and know. you get more Oscars for Marvel. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and Black Panther's done really well. I remember the first one that people were actually talking about Oscar buzz was actually a couple of years ago with um, um, one of the Captain America films. I think both uh, Winter Soldier and Civil War got a lot of Oscar buzz. Yeah. So, so no. And uh, Infinity War was amazing. So they're really hitting out of the park and it's not going to last forever. So I would say for anyone that has fatigue from just the marketing of all this stuff that's getting pushed in your faces, brush that aside, try and ignore it and enjoy the films for what they are because we are right now in a golden age. And I think we should enjoy it while it lasts because it's not going to last forever. They cannot maintain this. I will say that I... I'm not a huge fan of superhero movies as of late. I was in the past. And I'm also not a huge fan of a lot of animated features. And for me to want to see this as much as I do probably says something. Yeah. And you know what? I'm one of the stupid people that was just like, I don't have as much interest or draw or natural inclination to go see animation movies. And so that was my opinion going into like um, a lot of these Pixar films like Up or uh, especially Wally. Like Wally blew me away when I saw it. And, you know, I, I, I just and like finding Nemo, like for the first time, like a lot of these films, like I, I just was blown away by like Ember's New Groove. I thought it was childish. You know, I was like, well, I'm not going to watch that. And I watched it and I still love it to this day. Like It's yeah. like it's like comfort food. Maybe right? I just shouldn't shit all over these movies and just give them a chance. Yeah, I shouldn't be so saying. snobby about it. We've got I to know. just judge these films on their own basis, uh, on their own merits. Because um, they're standalone. They each have their own production crew and everything else. But Marvel Studios itself has been hitting it out of the park. Well, I will say that there's a week now from the time this recording is happening to when the Oscars come out. And I will be watching Black Panther this week. So oh, okay. there we go. Um, I watched a movie this month uh, released at the very start of February, something that I was looking forward to seeing for quite a long time because it made some festival rounds. And it's um, sort of a horror, horror adjacent film called Piercing. And it's by the same director of The Eyes of My Mother. Have you seen that? No. It's a really fun weird black and white horror film but uh piercing to me is so much better it is sort of about a a guy who lives a very suburban lifestyle he's got a wife and a daughter and he kisses his wife goodbye one day to go on a supposed business trip but really he is flying to a city checking into a hotel and trying to get an escort so he could murder her so he's like living out his fantasy in this way however when the uh, escort gets to his you know hotel room he may be in for more than he bargained for with her and it's just a really crazy crazy film but what struck me the most about it is that it is just some sort of like an american giallo renaissance homage just everything from its styling to its costumes to the way it was filmed you know 
man, I'm just, I feel like I'm getting FOMO, man. Like, I still haven't seen, like, What Keeps You Alive, and now I have to see Piercing, and, like... Well, you definitely have to see Piercing, because it's so good. Even the score of this movie, there's not an original score. They just took scores from other Italian movies and giallo, like, oh, horror I films. I love that, like, uh... And just put them in there. Yeah, Scorsese does sometimes, like he yes. did for Shutter Island, I think, and, uh, of course, Tarantino's done a lot. And... So sometimes you can just pick the perfect thing and place it in. And And sometimes you can center a scene around something that you had in mind. And I love thinking about music and centering something around it. And I think that this movie actually is from Quentin Tarantino's production company. Oh. Yeah. So I think he's got a hand in it a little bit. It seems – it's kind of like watching a Tarantino film when you're watching it. Like I was expecting to love it. I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I do. So it's fantastic. I've listened to the soundtrack now a lot. So Casey from Facebook, yes, I love these Giallo scores. And I've added some new ones to my list, so you'll be happy to know. And I think I'm going to like seek you out on Facebook and tell you which ones I like the best. And if you haven't seen this movie, man, go watch it, because I think you would like it especially just for that one particular thing. Mia Wachowski is in this movie. She played Alice in the new Alice in Wonderland films from Disney, which are weird and trippy on their own, right? And she is just such a phenomenal actress. And the guy who plays the lead in this, I think, is super, super hot. And it was just fun to watch it for that, too. Right. Um, If you have not seen this, it's playing in theaters currently, but it's also on VOD. So you could buy or rent it on Amazon or iTunes. So go do it. I promise you're going to love it. I have one more film to talk about, and it's really not a recommendation. It's just a brag. Uh, cause for the last couple years I have been like off and on trying to watch a little terrible movie called a Serbian film. And every time I think I'm going to do it, I sort of like chicken out, but I got one of my friends to make me a copy of it. And I finally sat down and watched it from start to finish. And, um, I'm kind of proud that I made it through without like <laughs> killing myself or anything. It's uh, not near as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's in- quite, quite disturbing. But I Was think, it like in cannibal Holocaust territory or? I think it's far worse than that. So you're dealing a oh, whole wow. lot. You're dealing a lot with like um, sado activity and and <laughs> there's a lot going on in this movie that it's, it's really not for like the faint of heart. Um, I think a lot of horror fans who feel they've like become desensitized to some of these things would even have a hard time watching it. Definitely something that your husband would not watch. Oh, no, 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 no. He, he cannot. <laughs> in fact, I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to watch this movie. He was watching something else in another room. I was like, please let me know before you walk into the room because I've never seen it before. And I don't know what's going to be on screen if you just happen to walk in. And there were some times that I'm glad that he didn't just walk in. So, I mean, like I said, this is not a recommendation. I, I'm not telling people to go watch this movie because, I mean, it's it's kind of. And. And. God, who, is, who made this? Woody Allen? <laughs> No, it's way more enjoyable than his movies. Um, I think this movie has a lot to say about some things, you know, about maybe like porn addiction or self-medication as it comes to like sexual activity. But um, if you're not in the right mindset or you're kind of squeamish, it's not something for you to do. So I'm just kind of proud that I actually made it through it without like Ralphing all over the place. (laughs) Noted. So I will not be seeing this film. Well, I own it just in case. I don't so. mind, you know, splatter and gore and all that. But I like I like it, you know, when it makes sense and it's not 
meant like literally meant to weaponize and disturb you. I think he was trying to make some comments about like uh, censorship from his home country, Serbia. Okay, and I mean, like he was he was really trying to be deep, and the stuff that I have sure. read about it that he was trying to say, I didn't get. I got something else completely. But I talked to my friend who made a copy of it for me, and we had a long conversation about it. And you know, I I get it on a certain level, right? But it's not something that I would ever watch again because it was kind of harrowing. Well, I mean, like, ladies and gentlemen, I just showed Robert last night Peter Jackson's Splatter Opus, Dead Alive, and which is like beginning to, to end that, yeah. gross, you know, and is like buckets and buckets of, I bet like half their budget was literally just blood, <laughs> like fake blood. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, it's done all t- kind of tongue in cheek and over the top. Right. And so you can handle that because the tone is not meant to disturb you. It's not meant as an attack to the viewer in a way. No. So that's, that's not something that I enjoy so much. So uh, as far as like when it's done that darker, more disturbing way, because at the end of the day, like if there's not a true lesson to be learned from my perspective, mm-hmm. you know, then it doesn't it's not really adding value to my life or my experience of having watched the film. And it does not sound like a Serbian film is going to do that for me. No. So. And I have recalled because you and I have talked about this movie before and I told you that I wanted to see it just so I could say that I've seen it. And you told me and this is pretty sage advice for anybody who's listening. If you're in doubt on you know wanting to watch a movie, Chris told me you can't unsee something that you see. And yeah, that's true. That's so, I true. Mean, it's always with you no matter what. So be careful. Yeah. Be careful what you watch. Well, guys, I think that's all for us this month. We got your questions and comments, so please keep them coming and we will answer them to the best of our ability. That's right. If you have any comments, please, you can find our posts on Twitter and Facebook at The Film Flamers. Um, for every episode we put out, we have a space for you to uh, direct message us or comment in these places and we might read some of them out if you have a specific question for chris or myself then please you can find us on there or you could also email us and what's our email address tired queens at filmflamers.com let us know what you think about this kind of episode i think that we had a really good time having this conversation and uh we would like to keep doing more of it so if you like it let us know And also, if you really liked it, you can go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and give us that five-star rating and a little snippet review. That could also find its way into being said in Shooting the Flames. Oh, definitely. And before we go, we need to recognize just a couple people who have become new friends of ours on Patreon. Thank you, Someday Sailor. You're our only hope. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Erica, very, very much. We're happy to have you. Thank you, Matt. Guys, these people have uh, joined us on Patreon. They are getting hours and hours of bonus content that we've already created and more to come. Not to mention, some of them have joined up at the $5 level where they get our episodes sometimes like three or four weeks in advance. Yeah, it's right? getting, yeah originally the idea was to like come out a couple days early. But you know what's happening is I edit all at once. And so a lot of these are coming out three plus weeks early. So you guys can get it really super quick. And we always share with you what we're going to be doing in the upcoming months, and this month is no different. So if anything we're about to say sparks your interest, head over to Patreon. You might get it early. So just as a reminder, for April, we are going to be covering the 80s comedy horror, and not the other way around, student bodies. That's true. And keeping with that theme, our top 10 episode in April is also going to be Chris and myself's top 10 favorite horror comedies. Not the other way around. And comedy horrors. I guess it could be either. 
And we have much more coming out for you in April, so guys, stay tuned. All right, so that about wraps it up. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, sweet dreams. Goes, ah. Uh...